Welcome to Tucson New Thought. First time I ever heard that song, I always like to talk about the song a little bit. The first time I ever heard that song um, was in the process when I was becoming a practitioner, a licensed practitioner of religious science. Um, I'm going to assume that many of you know what a practitioner is. I'm going to also assume that many of you don't know what a practitioner is. So I'm going to tell you what a practitioner is for those of you who don't know. A practitioner is a person of high consciousness who has studied the philosophy. That's essentially what they are, and they are licensed in organizational structural ways to work with people, to pray with people. That's what a practitioner is. And what I always like to say is that ministers are primarily practitioners. We've had additional training to learn how to do what we do on a Sunday and how to operate a business, the business of, of, of spiritual centers or church or whatever you choose to call them. But primarily our work is in the practitioner field that we're here to live in high consciousness and know the truth about every circumstance, about every situation, about every person that we encounter, no matter what, no matter what. When I was studying to be a practitioner and, and to become a practitioner, you do prerequisite work and then you go into two years of practitioner study. So the prerequisite work usually takes a couple years. You then are in practitioner study for two years, and then you go into ministerial study if you choose to do that, and that's, in another, that's another two or actually now three years um, in, the, in the paradigm. So to become a minister is a pretty substantial um, commitment of time. But when I was in practitioner study, I remember we had gone through these two years of study and we were coming in to take our final licensing examination. And my class and I, my classmates and I, we all sat down and we were ready to go. And Dr. James said, before we begin, I want to play you this song. (laughs) And I really want you to take it to heart. And what a perfect, perfect song to hear moving into that process of knowing that irrespective of what the outcome of the examination is, we have already prevailed. We have already won in our own hearts. If the test has been taken and we're all passing again and and again, isn't that magnificent? What if the race is over? What if we decide to let go and let God, as we frequently say, let go and let God, really, really, let it go, let it go. So the message of this song, right, is a, is a profound message. And this has been a big message for me recently, a big message for me. It actually started on Christie's first Sunday. Again, I'm going to get really emotional. Um, which was only, what, six weeks ago, seven, eight, something like that. And remember the very first song that we sang in service together? Was a song called Corner of the Sky. And it's from a musical called Pippin. And it just so happens that the University of Arizona, their, their conservatory theater program, the Arizona Repertory Theater, uh, is doing a production of Pippin right now. And so I went to see it on Friday night. Whoo! You know, I talked a little bit about that show when I sang that song, but what Pippin is going through in that show is exactly what I still feel like I'm going through in my life. 
in so many ways. And it's, it was an important acknowledgement for me to realize and recognize while I was sitting there enjoying the show. What has become a cornerstone of my ministerial philosophy is this idea that we must live in a consciousness of cooperation. And I talked, you know, it's come up tacitly in, in the messages I've given for the last several weeks that we are experiencing a world of competition. And when we begin to eliminate the competition and actually work in cooperation, that is the way we change this world to create a world that works for everyone. I firmly believe that. And so everything that I do in my life is rooted in this idea that we must work with this consciousness of cooperation. Now that in alignment with my journey into ministry, my journey through being a, 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 an actor, through all the various iterations of my experience that I have on, undergone, I watched this show on Friday night and I was like, oh my gosh, that is my life. And I got really emotional when Christy and I were talking about it this morning um, because Pippin was a dream role for me and Pippin is supposed to be only like 16 or 17 years old, so clearly I'm not gonna play that anytime soon. Maybe in the next, maybe in the next go around. Um, and it's what, what he is doing in this show is he is on his search for what, what it is that makes him extraordinary. The whole show is grounded in this idea of what, what is it that makes me extraordinary? So it opens with corner of the sky. I gotta find my corner of the sky. And then he sings the song called Extraordinary, Extraordinary, in the way that it's phrased in the song, um, where he says, I, I am so much more than the circumstantial life I am leading. Why does nobody understand or know that I am extraordinary? He sings that as well. But ultimately, the journey leads him to this idea that what is extraordinary, that that extraordinary aspect of his being is what many people might consider ordinary. And maybe we can find the extraordinary in our ordinary, and here's why. Because our ordinary is unique to us, so it must be extraordinary. That's the truth. That however we choose to show up in this world, that is good, and that is productive, and that is evolutionary, because the infinite source loved itself so much that it expressed itself by means of each and every one of us in unique, magnificent ways. And so our perception of ordinariness is extraordinary. It is the extraordinariness of our lives. So... The difference ultimately comes down to what is our perspective? What is our perspective? It's a journey of self-discovery, just like, you know, again, another, another journey of self-discovery. I've talked about Dorothy. <laughs> While it's in you, you have to discover it for yourself. And so what this also brought up for me, actually, I'm going to put up my, my talk title slide because... What this brings in, get it? Thanks, get, thanks living. So first of all, thanks living. We're living thanks, right? Thanks living for the what if. Today is all about the what if. What if my life had been different? Would I be here? I don't know. And it doesn't matter. Because I'm here now. The degree to which I can let go of the past, any regrets of the past, any disappointments of the past, anything that is wonderful from the past, because if we're going to let go of the regrets and the disappointment, then we should be in a place of willingness to let it all go. 
and focus on the here and now, letting go of what is anticipated to unfold ahead of us, the degree to which we can be firmly rooted here and now, in this moment, right here and right now, gets it, right? <laughs> the degree to which we can be firmly rooted in the here and now is the degree to which our extraordinary lives blossom more so than we might ever have imagined they could. When we are rooted in the past or the future, we actually quell that natural flow of the source. So I'm going to ask you in a rhetorical question. I'm getting better about prefacing. <laughs> what is your level of satisfaction in your life? What is your level of satisfaction in your life? If I am equating my level of satisfaction with anything from my past or anything that I anticipate from my future, I guarantee you I will not feel satisfied. I can be in the here and now and lift my own heart and mind up into a place of expression and experience of satisfaction. But I can also be dissatisfied in that because there is that urge within each and every one of us that is wanting to express the more. I used to get that in a magnificent way through my work in the theater. That was me looking to express the more. And then I found myself, uh, much like my mentor, accidentally in a religious science community. And I went, oh, I get this. And it was about six months after that I was looking at James Mellon on stage and I said, that's what is for me. Was, did it mean that I was discontent with my life? Possibly on some level, because spirit, that source, was moving through me to express in a different way than I had ever been before. And I said, that's, that's for me. I know this is a burst of illumination right in this moment. And it comes from a desire for self-reliance. Ralph Waldo Emerson said discontent is the want of self-reliance. When we are discontented, what it is we are looking for in that experience of discontent is to know that we can rely on ourselves. Much in the similar way that you're talking about, Marvis, in what you said today, we can look and have the experience of people that may not work for us, and that's okay. They are, first of all, they are mirrors to each and every one of us. And when we recognize them as mirrors, then I can say, oh, that's something that I don't perceive as something that I like. Oh, as I understand that that's something I don't like, that's the work for me to look within my own heart to see the degree to which I am being that or living as that or doing that, whatever. Discontent is the want of self-reliance. And so, as we move to that place of deeper self-reliance, knowing that we are the power and presence of this infinite divine source, we become more contented in our experience of life. We can also be thankful for that level 
of dissatisfaction in our lives. Let us be thankful for it because that is the thing that is pushing us into the next thing and into the next thing and into the next thing. And that is what we call evolution. Evolution means that when something is required to change, it must change. And so it does change. And this is the way that it unfolds by means of self-reliance, self-reflection, and knowing that there is always a choice in the way we experience and express our lives. We are always in a place of choice. When we, are in, when we are in that uncomfortable place, though, it is a sign of a thing that, that, that many of us, many faith traditions will refer to as divine discontent. I love that idea, divine discontent. Because what it means is there is something more to be expressed because we are always in that evolutionary place. If we are open to new, if we are open to the new, if we are open to the love, if we are open to the flow, if we are open to these new ideas, it leads us into revelation. It leads us into evolution. It leads us into the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. I love it. <laughs> I love that life. I do not want to be the person sitting at home on my hands going, well, there's a whole life happening outside. Why am I not part of it? You're not part of it because on some level you have chosen not to be part of it whether you know it or not. And a lot of people make that choice below the level of awareness. That's a whole other talk. <laughs> Emerson also writes, there is a time in every person's education when they arrive at the conviction that envy is ignorance. Ooh. I spent some of my life in envy more recently than I care to admit, but I'm admitting it publicly right here and right now. I have, I have looked at my colleagues, I've looked at my uh, peers within this, within this philosophy, and I see places like the Mile High Church, and I see places like the Global Truth Center, and I see places like Agape, and I see places, I'm like, I love our community, but I also know that what I would also love is to move in that direction. As William has said, you didn't know I was going to bring you up, did you? I want Tucson. I want to create in Tucson. Okay. I'm going to tell you what I've told my leadership council. And, 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 and it's a little embarrassing, but I, there's absolutely no reason I should be embarrassed. I want to be the gay white Michael Beckwith of the Sonoran desert. You all applaud that, but envy is ignorance. I don't need to be that. What I need to do is I need to be the best expression of Jonathan Zen's I can be. And whatever that brings into my experience, whatever that brings into the experience of spirituality in this town, in this area of the world, that is the most magnificent thing I can do. I like that. <laughs> it's a growth spurt. Because <laughs> here's how that continues. He says, envy is ignorance. Imitation is suicide. <laughs> I don't need to imitate anybody. I need to be the best me I can be, right? 
There's a time in every person's education when they arrive at the conviction that envy is ignorance, that imitation is suicide, that they must take themselves for better or worse as their portion. I am willing to stand up and claim my portion of this thing called life right here and right now. More so today than I ever have previous to this moment, and perhaps more so in this moment than I ever will again. But that doesn't matter because as long as I am here in this moment and truly living this moment, life is truly extraordinary. And that becomes my ordinary. I live, I live in gratitude for the what if in my life because that is the divine discontent that is constantly pushing through and pushing through and pushing through. Your journey, each and every one of your journeys into and expressed as discovery of self-reliance, well, that's your responsibility. (laughs) The best thing I can do as a minister is to express my journey through that similar idea that you may have in your heart right now that is either at the level of awareness or below the level of of awareness. I talk about that a lot because 90% of the stuff in our lives is below the level of awareness. We're only aware of about this much. Spirituality is meant to pull up into our awareness that which is below the surface so that we can make choices. So it's our responsibility to move through that journey of self-discovery into that place of self-reliance. So can you experience a life of gratitude in that? Can you be grateful for the things that you don't know? Can you be grateful for the what ifs in your life, knowing that in gratitude, those things reveal themselves? That's part of thanks living. And I love the idea of thanksgiving. I love to give thanks. But we must also live thanks. And that's why I really wanted this month to be about living, being the living embodiment of gratitude. Gratitude before me, gratitude behind me, gratitude to the left of me. Of course, that's your left. <laughs> See, when I'm mirroring, I always remember gratitude to the left of me, because this is actually the right of me. Gratitude to the <laughs> Gratitude above me, gratitude below me, gratitude within me, gratitude all around me. When we are living expressions and embodiments of thanks, life changes. Thanksgiving is so important. Gratitude is so important that in the form of prayer that we teach in this philosophy, it constitutes 20% of the prayer. One-fifth of the prayer is rooted in gratitude. How many of you have studied spiritual mind treatment or affirmative prayer, right? So you know of the five steps of prayer that we teach, one of them is gratitude. It is so important. It is so important. Emerson also said this, to believe your own thought, to believe that what is true for you in your private true, in your private, let me start that over again. Um, When we do the uh, podcast, cut this part out and I'm gonna say it like this. (laughs) Emerson said this. To believe your own thought, to believe that what is true for you in your private heart is true for all people, that is genius. What is true for you in your heart is true for all people, that is genius. My journey towards self-discovery, my journey towards self-reliance, my journey of finding the extraordinary in my ordinary life, which has been the message of my life for months now, 
culminated on that Friday night. And I know that I speak truth because I need to hear it on a Sunday morning and that those who are in the fold finding themselves here for the experience of this truth, that that must be true in your heart as well. That's genius because you are reflections of me and I am a reflection of you. And when we understand that in a consciousness of cooperation, life transforms itself. And now I'm going to talk about this practice that I have been part of, that I've been doing ever since the iteration of this center 20 months ago. 20 months, right? Not even two years. Um, In the expression of my ministry, one of the things I've always loved to do is to be challenged in the moment, to be put on the spot. So many of you were invited to write down a number as you came in this morning. And those who have been here uh, in the past will also know that, um, you know, this is pretty typical for me. What I will tell you is when we move to two services in the second service, I'm eliminating this as part of the experience. But why? Well, first of all, because what I'm finding is that when I do this, uh, I've already got so much that I always want to say each week that it's kind of expanding our time frame. And that's not that I don't love the time that we spend together. I'm just refolding all of these. Um, But I'm talking a lot about this, aren't I? But I'm going to give you an incentive, those of you who want to start coming to the 9 a.m. service. That, that, uh, that my message at that particular service will only be this. So I'm eliminating it from the second service. I'm going to do it only in the first service. So here's what I do. Would you do me the honor of choosing and let me know what that number is? 75. 75. So I turn to page 75 in the Science of Mind. It's 25. Oh. <laughs> That, that's a seven with a slash through yeah. it. That's what it looks like to me. 75, one, two, three, four. There are four paragraphs. Which paragraph? Three. In the Science of Mind, page 75, paragraph three, Ernest Holmes writes, we say there is a universal mind, but no one ever saw it. We say that God is spirit, but no one ever saw God. The Bible says no man hath seen God at any time, only the son he hath revealed him. To express this idea in our language, right? Aren't we glad that he does that? No one has seen cause because we see an effect. We know there must be cause because nothing is more evident than the fact that we live. And since we live, we must have life. And since we have life, there must be life. The only proof we have of mind is that we think the eternal principle is forever hidden. How does this relate to what I've been talking about today? You ready? You ready for this? Be cause. Be cause unto your own experience of life. When we live in that gratitude for the what if, we are putting ourselves in the place of infinite cause, infinite causation. And the more we ground ourselves as infinite causation, the effects of our life follow suit. 
So our only work is to not worry so much about the ineffable, but to be that ineffable expression in the here and now. That's all we need to do. That's it. So be cause. Be cause. Pippin's journey in the play, in the musical, is a journey that is related to this idea of being young. And one of the things I walked away with is the recognition that the journey, yeah, yeah, to be young. To be young is a consciousness that I still find myself at almost 47 years of age on the path and journey of youth. And that's important to me because it keeps me in that place of divine discontent that allows me to keep rediscovering and rediscovering and rediscovering who I am in this thing called life. I have made a decision in my life to be in ministry right here and right now. I don't know what the next five minutes holds. It could all change. <laughs> I love, I, you know what? So, I, I, so somebody asked last week, would, would you be okay? Would it, would it be okay if, if there was a, a, a baby or a young child here? I said, absolutely, because here's what happens. They always underscore perfectly what the message is. If we are open, we can live comfortably in a world of divine discontent and trust it to set us upon our journey. So the students in this production, mostly juniors, none of whom were born when I was a student there. Oh <laughs> right? Like I sat there, they're, they're all, they're, there, was a, there was a discussion after the show and they, everyone was introducing themselves. I'm so-and-so, I'm a junior and it's, I'm a musical theater major and blah, blah, blah. And as they're going down the line and they're all juniors and I'm sitting there thinking, Literally none of these people was alive when I was, doing the, uh, when I was doing shows in this exact same theater. And in that moment, I have a choice of thinking, God, do I feel old or, wow, how magnificent to see what is coming through. I could see in them an inspired excitement and I had to think to myself, have I lost that myself? I don't think I have. I think I show it every single Sunday. I could recall a time in my life. I can recall that from that time in my life, I had the notion that I was going to go to New York and be a big Broadway star. Jazz hands. That didn't happen, but I guarantee you, I feel fulfilled in the acting career that I had and continue to have. <laughs> Sunday morning inspirational theater. <laughs> I can anticipate if they are not on the right track, another song from the show, if they are not on the right track, they may find themselves becoming jaded in their life because it's very easy for actors to become jaded because it is a very, it can be a very, very, very hard profession because 99% of the time, you know what you are told as an actor, you are told no. Is very, the yes is very rare. At least that's 
the experience of many actors. It doesn't have to be. You get to decide. I'm not saying you all have to go into acting, but hey, if you want, I'm happy to help you with that. After all, here's the deal. Life is a mirror and reflects back to the thinker what they think into it. So if we can approach life from this consciousness of living in the what if, living in that place of divine discontent, always moving forward, always living with, ex in, 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 I was going to say expired excitement, but what I meant, want to say is inspired excitement. <laughs> if we can live in that, then we never age. <laughs> yeah. So here's what I want to offer as homework. Those of you who are here for the first time, you, f you don't know that I give homework every single week. I never follow up, so it's up to you to determine if you want to take this into your heart or not. And, uh, but here's what I would like to offer. Take time this week to give thanks for any discontent you may feel in your life. Take the time to give thanks for that discontent. Because what happens in that place of discontent is an establishment of developing deepened self-reliance if you are willing to actually move forward. So take time to give thanks for it and you determine how you choose to move forward. Don't be afraid to live and love in the consciousness of what if. Namaste. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Visit TucsonNewThought.org for updates on everything that's happening at the center. And follow us on Facebook and Instagram by searching Tucson New Thought. Namaste.